Um, so I'm a very sentimental guy. Uh, Becky would tell you that I am more sentimental than even she is. And uh, so I brought a couple of our photo albums with us today. And these are actual photo albums. Like there's actual photos in the photo albums. I know we live, this kind of dates me. And I'm starting to notice that more and more and more, more things begin to date me. I hear that's part of the aging process. But not just on your phone, like I'm using the app there. No, it's we actually have pictures printed and put in these albums because in our family, we love to reminisce. Now, I should say that again. I love to reminisce, so therefore my family's forced to reminisce is probably how it actually goes. Like even last night, we got back from spring break, had a great trip, had a wonderful time out visiting family. Uh, I think we were in seven states over the last uh, week, which was a blast traveling and seeing family. But we got back, we're having dinner together last night, and this is one of my favorite questions. Kids, what was your favorite part? Like, I love asking that question. Sometimes we get the, I don't know. Like my kids are getting old enough for the I don't know answers for everything. But if you pry a little bit and you keep pushing, no, 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 like here's everything that we got to do. Here's who we saw. What was your favorite part? And all of a sudden it's like opening the floodgates. You get to hear from them. Oh, I love doing this. And this was my favorite. No, this one was my favorite. And it allows us to reminisce of what we just finished experiencing just over the last seven days. But with photos, I love reminiscing. Becky and I will even do this some. We'll just go through our photo albums and we'll start reminiscing. And we see pictures of our wedding day. We reminisce about the wedding day and oh my goodness, what a great time. We'll, we'll go back and we'll, we'll reminisce and we'll see pictures of our kids when they were super little. And we, we don't just see, oh my goodness, how cute they are, but we also see, wow, how much they've grown. Like this is one of my favorite pictures. This is my oldest. That's Connor when he was born, just a couple months old. And I look at that and I'm like, man, what a cute kid, but look at how much he's grown. Still kind of cute, more attitude now than he did back then. But I love reminiscing. We do that with our kids. We do that with our family members. We do that with friends, right? There's probably some of you guys that are still telling the same high school football stories today because you love to reminisce and remember when, and you love to relive those moments. I do this with our church quite often. And I love looking back and seeing where we started and how we started and all that God has done when we started in the movie theater back in 2014 and seeing where God has brought us and seeing all that God has done. Love being able to reminisce. This is one of my favorite pictures from when we first started. In the movie theater almost eight years ago and we reminisce and we think back and we remember, man, it makes us so grateful. You know, there's something interesting that happens when we remember something in the past whether it was last week on spring break, whether it was years and years ago with family members, whether it was something significant in a job or a move, when you look back and you begin to reminisce and you begin to flip through the photo albums and you begin to reminisce, you're not just remembering something that has happened, it's carrying that story into your present. Here's what I mean. So when I look at pictures, and Becky and I look at pictures of when we were first married, uh, that whether it was our wedding day or that first year of marriage, we reminisce and there's stories that come out of that. And then you know what that does in the present? That makes me so grateful. Wow, I mean, we've been through a lot as a couple and look at all that God's done. Look at what we've been through to make me grateful today. Like I said, when I look at pictures of my kids when they're newborns or for their birthdays, yes, it's not just remembering what has happened, but that carries over into the present of look at how much they've grown. When I reminisce on the early days of our church, I remember those days and those moments, but then it carries into the present where it's just blown away by how God blows our expectations out of the water. When we reminisce, when we think back, something impacts us in the present still. 
It's not just remembering back facts. There's stories that come with that. There's emotions that come with that. And into the present, we are impacted when we reminisce, when we think back. I say that because that's what I hope today will be for you. For the believer, for a Christian, this next week is full of reminiscing. This week, many might have heard it called the Holy Week, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday, which would be Easter Sunday next Sunday. This week is full of reminiscing about the life of Jesus, contemplating, thinking back of what Jesus was like, how he lived, what he did for you and for me. But guess what? It still impacts us in the present. So as we go through a passage today that um, may or may not be familiar to, to you, if it's new, I hope you'll gain some, some obviously new information, but I hope that it impacts your faith. If you've heard this part of the story before, I hope this acts as an opportunity to reminisce, to think back, but I'm telling you, allow God to speak to you in the moment, because as we reminisce and as we look back and as we remember, it's going to impact you today. It impacts your present. So the story we're going to look at is in John 18. So if you want to be there, if you've got a Bible, be in John 18. If you don't have a Bible, make sure to pick one up out in the lobby next to where you get your coffee. That way you can be able to see it, write in it, use it during the week, and obviously have it uh, next week as well. John 18, let me give you a little context of what's happening. Jesus is about to be arrested. So he's famously, as, as you might know the story, in the garden. Judas, one of his disciples that betrayed him, is on his way with many guards, and he's about to be arrested. Let me read through the story. We'll pray, and then I want to just point out a few things that will allow us to think back, remember, and reminisce on what Jesus has done. John 18, starting in verse 1. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. So picture this scene that's playing out. Jesus just finished praying. He's got his followers and his disciples with him at a very familiar place. Judas, like I said, one of his disciples who betrayed Jesus, is now showing up with this mini army with pitchforks and lanterns and fire, and they're ready to find Jesus to arrest him. Verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Man, hold on to that. We are going to talk a whole bunch about that sentence. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he, what, what's it say? He stepped forward. Two significant words we're going to hang on to today. He stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? Jesus asked. Well, Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those, those you have given me. Verse 10, 
Simon Peter, and if you know anything about Simon Peter, if you have studied him before in the life of the Gospels and with Jesus as one of his disciples, Simon Peter tends to be the rash one. He's the one that jumped out of a boat when Jesus said, hey, come walk on water. He's the one that is quick to speak and then also quickly rebuke. So this fits Peter's character. Uh, if any of you have more than one child, there's probably a child that you're like, oh, like he's more like that. Speaks before he thinks, does before he thinks through it. That's Peter. So verse 10, then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave, without thinking whatsoever. Verse 11, but Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Verse 12, so the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for what we have in your word more than a history lesson, more than just reading and hearing facts of what has happened, but your word is alive and active. And through your Holy Spirit, we'd ask that you would speak to us in this moment as we remember and reminisce and contemplate, Jesus, who you were, who you still are today as our risen Savior, and what this does to us today. Jesus, when you were crucified and rose again, we get to live a life based on life that you have given us. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for stepping forward. Thank you for, the, for all that you've done and for who you are and who you still are for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So those two words, I had you say that phrase that Jesus fully realized what was about to happen. What did he do? He stepped forward. I love that language. I love that visual that comes with the idea of stepping forward. It is not passive at all. It's a very active statement. There's movement to it. Jesus knew what was about to happen, fully realized what was going to take place, not just from the betrayal and the arrest, but then the beatings and the floggings and then the crucifixion and, yes, of course, his resurrection. Knowing all of that, he steps forward. He steps into the moment. He doesn't step back. So what I want us to do is we reminisce and look back on this story. You're not going to necessarily walk out of here with, a, well, here's like 10 things I need to do better in my life. Like that's not the purpose for today. The purpose for today is to reminisce, to contemplate, to focus on Jesus stepping forward. And of course, there's always going to be things that we can improve on and, and follow in Jesus' footsteps but I, I hope and I want and I would pray that you would allow this moment to reminisce on those two words, stepped forward. So let's see how Jesus stepped forward. The first thing that we see is that Jesus stepped forward with power. He stepped forward with authority. We're told here that they showed up. He stepped forward to meet them and he asked the question. He initiates the question, who are you looking for? Now that question tells us a lot. First of all, Jesus had a lot of other people with him. They're in a public place, and the guards that were with Judas had no clue who Jesus was, right? So Jesus had close followers that knew of Jesus and knew what he looked like and knew who he was and who he claimed to be. But the temple guards, the Roman guards, they were just following Judas to this place where they're supposed to find a guy named Jesus. So Jesus is asking and inviting, so who exactly are you looking for? They replied, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, like which one of you is this guy? And then Jesus says this phrase, I am he. Now, if you're reading in your Bible or if you noticed it on the screen, did you see anything unique about how that phrase was written, I am he? Like, talk with me. Did you notice anything? 
They were all capitalized, right. Now we expect the I to be capitalized, like we still do that when you use I, you capitalize it, but we never see am, A-M, capitalized, but we do see it capitalized here. In fact, every time Jesus says, I am he, the I, the A, and the M are all capitalized. And that's pointing to Jesus's power and his authority. Now, I'm going to have to give you a little history lesson. So stay with me to understand why the I am capitalized is such a big deal. If we go all the way back to Exodus, right? We just finished a whole series on Joseph right after Genesis is Exodus. And we get a great story about God using a man named Moses to free the Israelites from Pharaoh in Egypt. So when God speaks to Moses, he speaks to him, do you remember, through a burning bush. That's right. So God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. The burning bush says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You've all seen the movie. Great. So that's what Moses is being told to do. Now Moses gets in this really awkward spot with God talking to a burning bush, okay? Where Moses says, God, that sounds great. I want to help. No one's going to believe me. What do you want me to say when I go and talk to the Israelites and even Pharaoh? God told me through a burning bush that I'm supposed to tell you to let my people go. Not gonna work. That's not gonna land like Moses is wanting. So Moses asks God a great question in Exodus chapter three. He says, they're gonna ask me who sent me. They're gonna ask, what is this name? What is the name of this God who sent you? And he asked God, so what should I tell them? What a great question. God, what do you want me to tell them? What's your name? What am I supposed to tell these people? Verse 14 out of Exodus chapter three. God replied to Moses, I am, all capitalized, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Can you imagine Moses' thinking and his eyes like, I am has sent me. Okay, I'm gonna stop arguing at this point and just do it. But understand what God is saying. God is giving himself the perfect name. That statement, I am, is completely dependent on nothing and no one. In other words, God is saying, I am the all-sufficient one. I am everything, and I need nothing and no one. It's God's answer for everything. Well, well is God here? Yes, I am. Well, is he, is he able? I am. Who is gonna help? I am. Who is going to be there? I am. Who can? I am. His answer is always, I am. So God gives himself the name, I am, to say, I am fully sufficient. I need nothing and I need no one. I am. All authority, all power. So now let's flip forward to Jesus coming on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene, he starts doing these amazing miracles, starts teaching new things about God and having faith that turns many people's world upside down. He teaches grace and love and forgiveness over retribution. He teaches a relationship more than just ritual. And through that whole process, people start to get really curious and they start saying, who are you? Like, where do you come from? By whose authority are you preaching? By whose authority are you doing these miracles? In fact, these Pharisees came to Jesus and they say it with a little bit more attitude. They say, well, who do you think you are? Jesus answers them in John chapter eight, verse 58. Jesus answered them. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, do you see it here? What does he say? I am. 
He's claiming to be God in human form. 100% God and 100% human. He is claiming, I am. Who am I? I am who I am. Now, if you keep reading, the Pharisees didn't like that answer because they understand he's claiming to be God, which set in the motion, set into motion what we're reading about now in John chapter 18, where they're ready to arrest him for claiming to be I am. So when these guards show up and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And the guards reply, we're looking for this man named Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus responds, I am, he's claiming the very name of God. And did you notice what happens when he gives them his name? Verse 6, as Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. At the very mention of his name, guards, Roman guards and temple guards, went to their face. That's power. That's authority. And Jesus stepped forward with power and authority. But he did not step forward with that power to gain anything himself. He could have used that power. He could have used that authority for anything. Instead, we see, second part, is that he stepped forward willingly. He stepped forward willingly. He voluntarily stepped forward. He was not forced, but he also did not resist, and he did not fight back. We're told this, the reason I say that is in verse 7, we're told once more Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? Again, understand the scene. Try to make it a movie in your head. Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus says, I am, in such a way that makes everybody land on their face. Jesus is still standing there, probably the only one standing upright. Kind of an awkward scene in that moment. Jesus, instead of running away, that would have been a perfect time to retreat. The perfect time. Hey, they're all on their face, not paying attention. I'm out of here. Save myself. It also would have been the perfect time to attack. Well, they're on their face. They're not guarded. Let's go ahead and attack. Instead, Jesus stood still. And we're told once again, said, who are you looking for? As they get up, brush themselves off, they say, Jesus the Nazarene. They brace themselves for what's going to happen again. <laughs> he said, I told you, that's who I am. Jesus did not resist, he did not retaliate, and he did not retreat. He stepped forward willingly. It tells us a lot about the character of God. also tells us a lot about the restraint of Jesus, that he took all the power and all the authority and harnessed it so that he would go willingly. Jesus says something very similar just a few chapters before in John chapter 10. Jesus' words, he's describing himself to his followers. He said this in verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. We are the sheep. He willingly sacrifices his life for us. And to make sure that he's very clear, in verse 18, he says this. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. So yes, he has the power and the authority. Just at the mention of his name, every knee will bow. But from that power also comes his restraint. And he willingly steps forward. He willingly steps forward, but he also did that in love. Jesus stepped forward with love. Now, this is an easy one that we would just kind of maybe gloss over. Yes, we know Jesus is love. He's full of compassion and grace and mercy. Move on. We've heard that story before. But we need to pause long enough to recognize the situation that Jesus is in. 
you might be a very loving person most of the time. There's always a situation. There's always that moment where when push comes to shove, you get less and less loving, right? Now, I'm not gonna go through the list of those situations because I don't wanna make you think too terribly of me, but it usually has something when we are threatened in some way, when we're frustrated for some reason, there's always a point where the love and grace that you give other people all of a sudden is no longer there. And again, it's usually because of a terrible situation, a frightening situation, a crisis of some sort, or a threat to you in your life is when all of a sudden we go to self-preservation mode, don't we? I'm going to worry about me. I'm going to take care of me and forget everybody else. So yes, Jesus most certainly is loving and kind and compassionate and all the things, but we see those stories usually in less threatening environments. This is the opposite. It is the most threatening environment, yet he still steps forward in love. Here's how we know that. After he told them again, I told you I am he, I'm here. We're told in verse eight, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. So Jesus steps forward, realizing exactly what's about to happen from the arrest all the way to the resurrection and all the ugliness in between. He steps forward. He steps forward with power and authority, but also voluntarily and willing with humility, but with love. Again, he has a lot of followers and disciples with him. And here the guards start coming in. So Jesus steps forward. And I love the visual of this. As he steps forward, notice what he's doing for his followers. He's putting himself between the enemy and his followers. Do you see what he's doing here? Jesus is part of the crowd, which is why they're asking, which one of you is Jesus? Jesus separates himself from the crowd by stepping forward, places himself physically between those that he loves and the enemy that's coming, to, coming after them. That's what it looks like to step forward in love. And then he looks at the guards and says, I'm the one you came for. I'm the one you wanted. Let them go. What a beautiful picture of compassion. We could put our name in there because that's exactly what he's done for us. Jesus stepped forward to take our place and he stared death in the face and he said, I'm the one you came for. I'm the one you want. Let Brian go. He let us go. He stepped forward with love by offering himself for us to taking the punishment that we deserve. He said, no, 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 leave them alone. You came for me. Take me instead and leave them alone. That, church family, is true love. We use the word love very, very flippantly. I mean, we love pizza and we love Jesus. I mean, it's like, is there a difference? I sure hope so. We love our spouse and we, we just love all kinds of different things, but we love them in different ways. Here's what true love really looks like. Let me put up very famous scripture. Uh, many of you are at least familiar with this. I'm sure John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If you're familiar with that, that's really the basis of our faith right there. Um, but here's what I wanna point out in regards to love. And I mean, true love, because true love, real love also has a cost, a very real cost. And we see it in the same sentence, in the same breath, we see true love and cost. God loved, he gave. 
True love requires sacrifice. True love requires a very real cost. Jesus knows that. So he's not just saying, I love you. He's stepping forward, recognizing what the cost will be. So when we step forward with love, it cannot just be words. It cannot just be intent and motives. You can have a great heart, but we have to know that if we're going to truly step forward in love, we have to be ready to take the cost, whatever that cost might be. God loved, and then we see the cost associated with it. He gave. Very last part. We see that Jesus stepped forward with purpose, with purpose. I say that because verse 10, Simon Peter, again, the rash one, drew a sword, slashed off the right ear of one of the, one of the priest's slaves, and then Jesus rebukes him for that. Now, I want us to talk about this for a little bit because it's an interesting scene, right, where Peter is trying to accomplish something, right? He's trying to accomplish the saving of his Savior. He's trying to defend Jesus. He's trying to fix the situation. Now, in any other context, we would look at Peter like, man, what a brave guy. He's, uh, he's the only one that steps up and comes to Jesus' side and is willing to actually do something about it. There's plenty of ways we could rationalize and even say, what a great example Peter is. We should all be more like Peter, willing to do whatever it takes for Jesus. What's interesting is Jesus' response to Peter. He doesn't say, that's my boy. Come on, go get him. I've been walking with you for three years. It's about time somebody stepped up for me. No, he says, Peter, stop being an idiot. Get back there. Put your sword away. So why the big difference? Like this is, stick with me. This is a big deal because it's going to apply to you and me. So often is it true that we think we are doing the right thing and it ends up not being the right thing. We think we're doing what God would call us to do. And all of a sudden it's, what are you thinking? <laughs> Jesus makes it very clear. Peter, your heart's in the right place, but you're focused on the wrong purpose. And man, I feel like Jesus could say that to me. Brian, your heart is in the right place, but you're focused, you're pointing at the wrong purpose. Here's what I mean. Jesus, his decision to step forward with power, willingly and with love is based on his purpose. Every decision that Jesus makes made, his decision and his choice was based on his purpose. Not what was easiest, not what he might have wanted, not what everybody else would have wanted. Jesus's decision was based on his purpose. And if there's any question on what the purpose of Jesus would have been, he tells us very clearly in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus' words about his purpose. He said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Pretty clear. He's telling Peter similar words. He said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? In other words, Peter, this is why I came. This is my purpose from God. And I make a big deal about that because I do, I feel like Jesus could say that to each and every one of us. Your heart's in the right place. Your motives are, are right, but you're missing the purpose. What purpose has God given you? Truly, what purpose has God given you? And are your decisions and choices 
Are they filtered through that purpose? For Peter, the filter was simple. He's hurting my friend, so I'm going to fight against them. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the purpose. The purpose for me is to die, which means you need to step back and put your sword away. Jesus knew what his purpose was. He made his choices and his decisions based on that purpose. And the purpose was to please God and do the will of God, not what he wanted, not his own will. Jesus stepped forward. He stepped forward with power. He stepped forward with humility and a willingness. Again, did not retaliate. He did not resist. He did not retreat. But he stepped forward in love, literally standing between his followers and the enemy and said, take me and let them go free. And he did all that because that's why he came. It was his purpose. And he wasn't going to let anything or anyone get in the way of his purpose because ultimately that's what we celebrate this week. That's what we intentionally remember this week is not just what Jesus did, but why he did what he did to remember the purpose of Jesus, that he came so that we could be forgiven, that he came to live and die and live again so that our sins would be removed. Scripture says as far as the East is from the West, that we could then receive the free gift of God's grace through his son, Jesus, Scripture tells us that we were once enemies of God, but now we're made right with God. We're friends of God because of Jesus' sacrifice. So it's not just what Jesus did. It's not just what he did on the cross and what he did with the empty tomb. It's why he did what he did. He stepped forward with purpose. He stepped forward with you in mind, which each and every one of us, Jesus stepped forward for us. I want to share something that I'm going to be doing this week would love to invite you to do it with me. I, I'm doing it because it'll help me reminisce on the life of Jesus, not just what he did, but why he did what he did for me personally. So if you want, here's what I'm gonna be doing. Let me put this passage up on the screen. If you wanna take a picture of it, I'll tell you what to do with it here in just a second. It's out of Philippians chapter two, uh, starting in verse five. We're told this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Thank God the story doesn't end there. Verse 9, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? At the very mention of I am he, every knee bows and every face hits the floor. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this next week, as I said, Holy Week leading up to the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's easy to just go through motions. That's every day in life. But this week, especially for a believer and a follower of Jesus, we're very intentional with our, our mind. We pay more attention to the life of Christ. So if you want to join me, I'm going to be reading that passage just every morning, starting tomorrow all the way through next Sunday. Because it is a beautiful description of Jesus, very concise. From verses 5 through 11, we get a very great picture of Jesus. A lot of the things we saw in John 18 on how Jesus stepped forward, we see in Philippians chapter 2. You see the power 
That every, at the very mention of his name, every knee shall bow above the earth and under the earth. You see his humility, how he humbled himself in obedience to God, how he willingly went to the cross. Do you see the love here? The love that he gives up his life, he gave up his divine privileges, not something for him to cling to, but so that he could give it away for us and his purpose not to glorify his own name, not to do his own will, but at the very end, to glory, to the glory of God the Father. We see all that there, the power, the authority, the willingness and the humility, the love, the compassion, and most certainly the purpose. So this week, join me in reading that set of scripture every single morning so we can reminisce, we can contemplate, think about the life of Christ. And when we reminisce, just like when we look at old photos, it impacts us in the present. Stories come out of that. Gratitude comes out of that. Because Jesus is alive. And as we remember what he has done and who he still is today, we get to walk with him every step of the way. When we walk like Jesus, that's what we're called to do as Christians, we are to walk in his footsteps, follow his footsteps. So the way that Jesus stepped forward, that's how we are to step forward. Just as he stepped forward in power, we also get to step forward in power. Now, it's not our power. In fact, scripture tells us in our weakness, he is made strong. So we boast all in our weakness because God shows up. So we get to step forward with power knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The power that raised Christ from the grave lives in us. As Jesus stepped forward with humility and willingly, we also step forward with humility. Recognizing that we are not the greatest thing in the entire world. That we get to put other people first. That we are under God's authority. That we submit to him with humility and with willingness. Loving God and loving others. Like Jesus stepped forward with love and compassion, recognizing there's a cost, we, so get to, we also get to step forward in love and compassion. Standing in the gap, fighting for what's right, fighting for other people but also recognizing there's a cost associated with that. There's sacrifice that comes with the love that we give to God and the people around us. And just as Jesus stepped forward with his purpose, we also make decisions and choices every single day. May they be filtered through the purpose that God has given us. If no one's told you this before, man, please let me be the first one. And if you've heard this before, then let me be a great reminder. God has given you purpose. Each and every one of you has a purpose to glorify God, to impact the people that he's placed in your life, and to keep growing in your relationship with Jesus. You have a purpose. May we make decisions with his purpose for us in mind, not what we want. Because he's the king, and we're not. He's our savior, and we need saving. He is our Lord and we are his servant. The difference between us and Jesus, there's a lot. The big one is he did all that stepping forward perfectly. We most certainly do not step forward perfectly. In fact, we're gonna step forward and we're gonna fall and fall and fall. In fact, if you're around here long enough, you'll hear me say that we stumble in the right direction together. We stumble a lot. But you being here today, like physically sitting in a seat here today, proves a very important fact, that you can fall and still get up and keep moving. 
Because I know without a doubt, you might not want to admit it, but every single one of us, me included, has physically fallen. I'm not talking like spiritually, metaphorically. Like you've tripped over your own feet and been embarrassed. You tripped over the curb. You fell down the stairs. Like you have literally fallen in some form or fashion multiple times. And you being here proves that you didn't give up, right? None of us tripped over our feet in the parking lot and then sat down and said, I'm done. Somebody tries to help you up. No, 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 I've fallen and I can't get up. That also dates me, doesn't it? (laughs) Now I'm just gonna sit right here where I tripped, where I stumbled, where I fell, and I'm not gonna go anywhere because I fell. Of course we wouldn't do that. We trip, we stumble, we fall, and what do we do? We get right back up and we keep walking, knowing we're going to fall again at some point in our life, knowing we're going to stumble at some point. But you sitting here today proves that you can trip, fall, and stumble and still keep moving forward. Could I beg you to do the same in your spiritual life? To walk like Jesus and when you stumble and when you fall and when you trip up, grab the hand of grace that he, he gives us, get up and keep stumbling in the right direction. Jesus stepped forward for us. May we step forward with him. That's what happens when we reminisce and we think back to who he is and what he's done and what that means for us today. Another way that we're gonna reminisce, contemplate and remember is through communion. When you walked in this morning, you should have gotten some communion, the elements of a communion, the bread and the juice. If not, our guest services team, they'll walk around, just hold your hand up for a second and they'll make sure you get it. The reason we take communion is simply to remember. In fact, that's Jesus's words. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we eat the cracker, we're remembering Jesus's body that was broken for us, just like you would break a loaf of bread. When we drink the juice, we're remembering the blood that was poured out, just as juice would be poured out. We take communion to remember what he's done, what he did for you and for me, and who he is in our life today. Let me pray, and then you can take communion between you and the Lord on your own. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son for me. May that always be impactful. May we never get tired of saying that, that you loved us so much that you gave up your son for me. Jesus, thank you for stepping forward for me for stepping forward with all the power in the universe, but harnessing it with all the humility of the universe. Thank you for stepping forward with love and kindness and compassion when it was not deserved or earned by me. Thank you for stepping forward and being true to your purpose, not being distracted by your own wants or your own desires, but doing everything you did for me. So in this time of remembrance, of reminiscing, in communion with you, we have nothing but gratitude, nothing but to say thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name.